In the vast landscape of human thought and belief, Dr. Paul stands as a luminary whose intellectual contributions have illuminated the intricate contours of worldviews. As a scholar, philosopher, and influencer, Dr. Paul has dedicated his life to dissecting the complex tapestry of ideas that shape our understanding of existence, morality, and the very fabric of reality. The journey into Dr. Paul's worldviews is akin to embarking on a profound exploration, delving into the depths of diverse philosophical, ethical, and cultural perspectives. His work serves as a compass, guiding us through the labyrinth of ideas that populate the intellectual landscape, offering insights that challenge, inspire, and provoke contemplation. Join us in unraveling the rich tapestry of ideas woven by Dr. Paul as we navigate the intricate pathways of thought that define our understanding of the world and our place within it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. <laughs> Did you enjoy that introduction? All of that lauding of Dr. Paul. <laughs> that is me. I am Dr. Paul, and this is Worldviews. Thanks for stopping by. I'll be sharing with you all of that wonder and wisdom. <laughs> For the next hour, probably. Barring the phone not ringing and interrupting me. But how did you like that? Dr. Paul does this and Dr. Paul does that. I was almost having to get the hip waiters out. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing thing. I said the other day, when it comes to computers, they are a wonderful tool. When they work, they're not so great otherwise. And that was all computer generated. I didn't write any of that. <laughs> and I have no idea who the characters were that, that narrated it. That's part of our AI world. Just thought I would tap in and play with it a little bit. Hope you enjoyed that. Anyway, welcome to the the podcast. I am Dr. Paul. We've been talking about the Christian constitution here as a preparation for all of those other neat little exercises we will engage in later on when we critique other world views. I am a Christian and I make no apologies in the sense of saying, I'm sorry. I'll make my apologetics and defense of Christianity because I believe that it is only the only true worldview that represents all of reality because God is the one who revealed it. And so when it comes to laying a foundation, we have been going through the book of Romans, otherwise known by some as the Christian Constitution. And that's where we're going to be at again today as we've been talking about the practical aspects of the Christian worldview that is brought about by God's grace and God's faith as he does the regenerating and renews our mind to think things after the Lord. We're all the way to Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, but before we get there, I want to welcome some new followers since the last time we were on and did this. Some of them have names, some of them do not, and that's okay. I just want to thank you for following. Uh, a few days ago, Danielle decided to join. Thank you, Danielle, for jumping in here and joining in with us. And then we've got a couple that decided to go the road of anonymity, and that's all right, too. I'm glad you're out there. Spread the word. We're here. We've, uh, we've been working out this a little bit. We're not like a lot of the popular, you know, get out there and rock and roll type uh, podcasters and whatever. We're, uh, most people don't want to hear this kind of stuff because they're off in their own la-la land. Uh, but we're over 200 followers now, and it's because of those that decide to follow 
anonymously. That's okay. And then there is Ron. Ron decided to join here a few days ago and follow, as well as a somebody that decided to go by the name of 1984. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's when you were born the first time or the second time. Regardless, welcome to the program. And then just a couple hours ago, somebody by the name of Hiralal, Hiralal, I guess that's how you pronounce your name. Uh, you look like you're probably from uh, a foreign land, and that's okay, too. We reach around the world, literally. And, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to revivals and reform, uh, that could take place anyplace. And so, Hiralal, I'm, I'm glad you're there. I hope you will spread the good news on this news portion of Podbean uh, to others because everyone needs to hear some good news every once in a while, especially when it comes to their standing with God. And uh, in today's age, uh, well, <clears throat> well, a lot of people don't want to hear that. Uh, there's lots of so-called deconstruction taking place, and Christianity doesn't mean what it meant a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. We make it up as we go. No, 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 no. God doesn't work that way. Uh, the little gods and deities might. They like that relativity. They like being their own gods. They're buying into the same lie that was told back in the garden and we're willing to expose here. So as I said, we are in Romans chapter 12. And we are going to be working on verses 9 through 21. So if you have your Bible, get it. I have told others in the past, this is how you learn God's Word. You pick it up, and you open it up, and then you read it. You suck it up, so to speak. <laughs> Not literally, but you take it in, and you meditate upon it. You know, there's a lot of that kind of jive going around these days where people say, oh, I'm into meditation, it lowers my blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I empty my mind and I am absorbed into the great self beyond. And I'm going, well, that's nice, uh, I guess. But that's not God's ideal of meditation. He wants you to meditate upon what he has said. That'll bring your blood pressure down or stoke you up and get you ready for uh, loving your neighbor, loving others as you would love yourself. Uh, that'll get you amped up. I'm telling you. So it kind of works all angles here when it comes to the Word of God. So if you've got a Bible, get it. That's how we operate here. We're not like the medieval times where the hierarchy says, no, you cannot read the Bible on your own because you will misinterpret it. We are the only ones that can interpret that for you. That's not how Dr. Paul operates. He believes, you know, that the the Spirit of God illuminates the minds of God's people to understand His Word so they'll be more like they were intended to be in the beginning, after the order of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't have that, what we do here, if you have not listened before, is I will take you through these verses and then come back and we will expound upon them a bit to add a little meat to the skeleton, so to speak. So we're in Romans chapter 12, and we are in, we're going to start at least, in verse 9 with the following. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV, with the NAS and the King James alongside, and I have my Greek text open as well, just in case there is something interesting. And I, I was looking at this earlier. There are some interesting things going on in the Greek here that you don't get in any of the English. So when that comes up, then I will throw it out there, as well as when we have difficulties. So in verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. 
be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, that's a, a pretty good chunk there, but nothing really out of the ordinary when it comes to the Apostle Paul writing the way that he does. So let's go back here and take a look at this and examine it just a little bit more careful. Paul says, let love be genuine. The word here for genuine is actually the word that we would uh, use sometimes in other contexts. And sometimes they're thrown as an aspersion, an insult, to Christians in the Christian church. Don't be a hypocrite. Let love be without hypocrisy. You know what a hypocrisy is? It's like putting on one face and then turning around in the same context and talking to somebody else and putting a different face on. And if there is one criticism that stands out more often than probably any of the others that I have heard over the past 40-plus years, it is that there are so many hypocrites in the Christian church. And you know what? Whether they are absolutely 100 percent correct in the sense that everybody's a hypocrite, which I don't think they are, in the, in, the, in the sense that everybody's not hypocritical about everything they do. But on the other hand, yes, the, the Christian church is full of hypocrites. And you know why that is? Pardon me as I give myself a sip of water here. You know why that is? Because of the very things that the Apostle Paul has been talking about throughout the book of Romans up to this point. It's not that Christians want to act in a hypocritical fashion. It's not that Christians want to love in a hypocritical way. It's that, that they're still wrestling with that sin nature. And unfortunately, because of maturity or maybe maybe being backslidden in some way, that sometimes gets portrayed to the outside world. The thing is about the outside world, it lives for hypocrisy and sets itself up and other things as measures of morality and decency and goodness. And then when you ask the world about it, they don't have a way to explain why they're good about anything. And so what happens is, well, they live in a world of hypocrisy. you know. So even the criticism itself of those in the Christian church is is ridiculous, it's fleeting, it's irrational, it's unreasonable. That said, though, there is hypocrisy that does not need to take place in the Christian church. And why is that? Because we're to overcome the sin. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul you know, answered this question clear back in Romans chapter 6, uh, in reference to those who thought, you know what, we can go around sinning because you know when we sin, we get that much more grace. And Paul says, uh, uh, no, uh, you're not supposed to be going around and committing sin just to garner more grace because you're dead to it. And he asks this question, how can we who died to sin live in it? That's irrational in itself. And it particularly is glaring when we 
run around and claim we love other people, love our neighbor, love our brother and our sister, love our mom and dad, love our acquaintances and our colleagues, and we don't ever share the love of God with them. We don't ever share the good news with them. The very thing that we've been talking about on this podcast for uh, how long have I been doing this? For months. We're still here in Romans chapter 12. It's because the content is there. That's because the gospel is so all-encompassing. And it starts with the unfortunate revelation on our part that we're sinners. We've rebelled against God, and we don't share that message with others. Others would understand if we just talk to them. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to fall at our feet and say, oh, you you have all of the answers, everything that I've ever... No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. In most cases, people are... They're very reserved about talking. They're ashamed within. They don't want to admit their rebellion against God. And so sometimes you've got to just kind of you know, act with them with kid gloves. You've got to love them. But you've got to also love them enough to tell them the truth. It's not just about dangling the Jesus carrot out there and say, come and get it. They don't know why they've got to come and get it. So you've got to explain it to them. Sometimes in just just kind and loving ways. You're a sinner. Sometimes you've got to be blunt about it. You've got to tell them, you know what? Though you have rebelled against God, God loves you. And God sent his son for you. And God will redeem you in his own time and his own way. And you'll know when that takes place when you acknowledge that. But, you know, if we're phony baloney and we're hypocritical about it and we don't ever get around to giving substance to what our love is supposed to be about, they're just going to point a finger and say, you know what, I've been down that road before. You know, you you talk this Jesus stuff and whatever, and that's it. it it's not evident in your life. Why would I want to do what you're doing? I mean, it's just like adding on another layer of hypocrisy, the religious hypocrisy. People don't need that. They've already got it. I've said before, everyone is religious. And it's true to one degree or another. Everyone is religious. But the problem is without Jesus, a real relationship, the one that's born of God, that so-called religion that these people have created, some people call it spirituality and whatever, or nunism, is hypocritical. It's unloving. It's damning. And when they take a look at Christians and they go, uh, <clears throat> you're over there, you know, doing your thing. You throw out F-bombs and four-letter expletives uh, every third sentence. And you, you lust after the men and the women and all this. Why would I want that? Is that what Jesus was about? Is that what Christianity's about? And you want me to believe that? The, the lost person says, uh, no thanks, uh, you're a hypocrite. Let love be without hypocrisy. If you're going to be a Christian, live it all the time. That doesn't mean you're gonna, not going to fall on your face. But you don't make a practice of it. You don't con- condone it. And you don't spread it around like, Okay, I'm a Christian on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, well, it's optional. Christianity, if you're if if you're truly living it, is not an option. It's a mandate. It's a lifestyle. It's something that you grow into. It's something that you set yourself apart from the world to the glory of God to do in all of your acts in all of your words, in all of your thoughts, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. 
That's what Christianity is about. And that's what the Apostle Paul, that's why he starts out with this idea of hypocrisy and love. They're antithetical. They're, they're on the polar opposite ends of the scale. You're either going to love someone because you're truly and genuinely concerned about someone else, including God himself, or you're not. One, I mean, hypocrisy is going to cancel that out. And so Paul props that up right from the beginning, and then he continues on. You know, I mean, I get through all of this. <laughs> he says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. But what does it mean to abhor something? It means to hate it. Hate it with passion. It doesn't mean you need to be hateful. But your indignation towards that which is rotten and disgusting and demonic and phony baloney compels you to hold to what is good. You're to abhor it. You're not to reshape it around and twist it and turn it that way and, you know, make it into something that is malleable and flexible or whatever, you know, so it'll fit into your kind of weird idea of what you think Christianity is about. You're to abhor it. And if you abhor it, you abstain from it. You run from it. The, the There's several reverences that are given in this respect. Psalm 97.10 says, oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. You're to hate evil. Oh, well, uh, you know, we're to hate the uh, hate the sin and uh, love the sinner. Well, that's true to a certain degree, but you're not going to find that in the Bible. You know, in certain instances, you know, we're to hate even the sinner because the sinner is unrepentant. And he's a rebel against God to the extreme. Now, some people go, oh, my God, I can't believe what I'm hearing her. It's right here in the Bible. It's what God is revealing right here, right now. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, it says, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Stay away from it. Don't jump into bed with it and think, you know what? I can make this better. And, you know, I, I sometimes think from time to time of, of instances of where this happens, and this is where the church, Christian church has gone wrong. And it tries to take things like, well, we just had Halloween here not that long ago. And we got Christians that try to shape it and reform it and and say, you know what, this is going to be an evangelistic outreach. It's rotten from the start. And we want to think we can take it, we can polish it a little bit. You know, put some wax on it. And we can make it something that is just wonderful. No, you're not. Not to be coarse here. You know, but... <laughs> But you know, you've heard the old expression, you know, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> I know I said that. But it's true. No matter how much that you try to do that with hello poopy. <laughs> it's still gonna be a horse apple. How about that? You can't polish a horse apple. It will always still be the same. It's the same thing when it comes to things like Halloween. Oh, we're going to have trick, trick or trunk. No, you're just tricking yourself. Get out of the evil business and start loving genuinely and holding to fast or holding fast to what is good, morally decent. Quit trying to, you know, overturn or rub up or polish that which is rotten because it will always be rotten. 
get out of bed with evil and start representing what is good because you claim to be a Christian. And then the Apostle Paul goes on and he keeps on elaborating here, kind of playing off the whole idea of letting love be genuine. Let or a love one another with brotherly love, brotherly affection. The word itself is what we've got here for one of the U.S. cities, Philadelphia. It's the same word. Doesn't mean take everyone to Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, and show them a good time there. That's not what it means. It means to love unconditionally your Christian brother. Love one another with brotherly affection. One of the, one of the major faults in Christianity today is right here. We claim that we love others in the church, and we don't know who they are. In fact, there's probably, I don't know, millions of disenfranchised Christians today that will not darken a church door, participate in any church functions, uh, mainly because the, the so-called churchgoer doesn't give a flip about them. The disenfranchised walked out the back door and nobody noticed. And this is, this is an indictment. Why? Because those sheep who are genuine Christians are out there either dying on the vine or being attacked by the devil, and those in the church, they don't care. Well, if you don't care, how can you love them? And he said, well, Dr. Paul, how do you know this? Because I am one of those disenfranchised. It's not that I don't want to go back, you know, for the right reasons. It's that those that are there don't give a flip if I'm there or not. Whether we're talking about the hierarchy we're talking about just the average Joe Schmo. They don't care. If you don't care, you can't tell me you love me. I mean, I could probably die. Oh, no, I'm, no, I'm serious. The only people that would ever know that I died are those that I work with. And some of them probably wouldn't know until way beyond the time. Nobody cares. No, I shouldn't say nobody. But even the remnant, I don't even know who the remnant are anymore other than those that are the disenfranchised. And I got a few students every once in a while that will chime in and see how I'm doing stuff. But they're not they're not the institutional church. They're not the church leadership. We're to love one another with brotherly affection. That means you know you want the best for somebody else unconditionally. But we don't do that today. And this is cause the church to stumble. You ever, I mean, you probably have heard or read multiple times now over the past 20 years, I would say, how the so-called evangelical church is in decline. And they, well, we can't, I can't understand why, you know, is it because of generation X or Z or, or what? We've got all these differences. and No, it's because the church has lost its first love here. It quit loving God, and now it doesn't love their own brethren, their own believers. You know, love is, a, is, is an active word. It's not, it's not just something where you sit around and, and mouth it and then just walk off. It's, you know, in any of you that have been in a relationship, a loving one, a married one, like I have, for as long as I have, we're working on 37 years. You know, it takes time. It takes no, takes time. It takes effort. You know, love co covers a, a multitude of sins. And if you are in a loving relationship uh, with your wife or your husband, you know there's going to be times when, you know, <laughs> I really like this person, but I don't know if, or I should say, I really love this person. I may not like them. 
<laughs> you know, this is the bottom line. It's the same thing in the church. It's the same thing in the church. We've got to love one another. Sometimes we have to put up with things. We have to, you know, carry on with the, the latter part of verse 10, or we have to outdo one another in showing honor. We have to keep putting each other up on the pedestal. Keep exalting one another. Keep encouraging one another. Keep interested in one another. Because if you don't, you'll die. You'll fall by the wayside. And that's what's wrong with our churches today. We're not trying to outdo each other in, in showing honor. We're not loving one another with brotherly love. We're not doing those things. I think by and large also because we've gotten away from this book here right in front of me. This is why, you know, when I started this whole podcast dealing with Christianity and what it was, we had to come back here. This is God's ideal. Loving one another, outdoing one another, doing it without hypocrisy is God's ideal for success, for life in the Christian church. For in the Christian life, in the Christian business, in the world. You don't do it God's way, and God knows best, then you're going to be a rebel doing it on your own. And I'll guarantee you, when you throw in the sin aspect and how we always fall short, fall on our face, it's bound to get messed up. What we had great aspirations of accomplishing blows up because God's not in the mix. And I'm telling you, in a vast majority of churches today claiming to be Christian, God has been divorced from the church. I got a flyer yesterday. Oh, come on over here. You know, come on. I know you have a busy schedule and everything, but you can come over here and get your slop. That's all it is, is slop. I've been to that church before. And they think this is what outreach is about. If you want to reach the neighborhood, get off your butt and go get them. Go knock on some doors. If you're really concerned at that church about me here, and I'm probably a mile and a half away. That's all the farther away I am from this church. If you're really concerned about me and the thousands that are in my neighborhood here that don't go to church, and you really want to do it the biblical way, get off your butt and go knock on that door. Quit wasting your money on flyers. Quit letting Uncle Sam deliver your message. You deliver the message. And so then Paul says in verse 11, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy <laughs> in zeal. Now, <laughs> it's, it's like the Apostle Paul is playing two terms against each other. Hard to be zealous when you're lazy, when you're slothful. But he's playing them against each other here. You're either going to be one or the other. It's almost like what we saw or we see, maybe someday we will, in the book of Revelation, we talk about the church at Laodicea, how lukewarm they were, and it made God sick. Here Paul said, don't be slothful in zeal. Be one way or the other. Because he said right after that, be fervent in spirit. The word fervent literally means to be boiling. To be boiling. That's going to be kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum as well when it comes to being slothful. Hey, let's mail that guy something. Boy, that'll really make him feel welcome, won't it? That's being sloppy. That's being slothful. That's being lazy. God says, don't be that way. 
You are to have an attitude that you're a Christian that's boiling to get the message out. You're boiling to exercise the gifts that God has given you to equip the church, whether we're talking about prophecy or service or teaching or exhortation or generosity in your giving or the one who leads with zeal, with determinacy, or acts of mercy. Those are just some of the gifts that Paul just got done talking about. You are to attack, some people have said before, you are to attack hell with a, with a squirt gun. That's how on fire you are when it comes to your Christian life. It's not just like I said, it's not something out of convenience that you do. Uh, well, you know, I'm feeling real pious right now. So let me put on an act at work. And then all of my compatriots and my colleagues, they'll respect me then. No, Christianity is to be a life that you zealously live. It's the greatest thing since, without being uh, uh, trite here, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Serving the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul had talked a lot about serving, and previously he claimed to be a slave. Same word here. Present active, participle. It's an ongoing lifestyle of servitude to God Almighty. I remember years ago, after I graduated from Bible college, I always ask you, well, <laughs> what Bible verse do you think you want to put down on your picture here as by way of remembrance now that you have got your bachelor's degree? And I, I got to thinking about it and going, well, I don't know. Uh, there's all kinds of verses that jump out at me. Uh, some people pick John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Uh, that's wonderful. But for some reason, I don't know why, it just stuck with me. I decided to go with Colossians chapter 3 and verses 23 and 24. <laughs> you know, and after the fact, I, I got to thinking about them going, uh, uh, am I a slave? <laughs> and I, you know what? I am. I am to the Lord. I, I didn't really think about it in those terms, even though that's what the Apostles Paul's talking about, and that also in relationship to, you know, husbands and wives and children and all that kind of stuff. But he says in verses 23 and 24 of Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as you, or as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. But the whole idea of working heartily, giving it your best effort always, even when there's certain days that, well, <laughs> I don't know if I really want to do this or not. Even when you don't want to, you do it. Because you're a servant. You're a servant of the Lord. And if you're a servant of the Lord, you do not do this in a lazy, complacent, apathetic way. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. He gave it, literally it all, gave his life for you, you return that by what the Apostle Paul had talked about before, by presenting your bodies as a living, holy, acceptable sacrifice to God. You don't do it half-baked. You do it because you're bubbling over, ready to serve God with everything that he has given you to serve him with. If you don't do that, 
then I just have to question what you really are. Are you still lost and need to be forgiven? Or do you just simply need to repent? It's not an option. Christianity, once again, it's either you are one or you're not. Are you living one, a, a, a Christian life that's half-baked? Then you're not. It's time to get on board. It's time to confess your sin and start doing it God's way. God will forgive you if you just do it. And I guarantee you, life will be poured back into your way of thinking and doing things, and you'll enjoy life. So many people, you know, I want to, you know, retire at age 45 and go live in a, a Bahama island. And do what? Nothing? Be idle? Be miserable? Christianity's not that way. It's not where you just sit by idly and pick your nose and enjoy the sunshine. That's not what Christianity is about. If God has saved you, redeemed you, then he has given you certain gifts. Exercise them to the glory of God. You're a slave. Do it with humility. Do it with fervor. And don't ever look back and second guess but glad you did. And so then the Apostle Paul says in verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. I've said before you, a lot of people think this is it. This is all that life has for me. When I'm done, just dig a hole and drop me in it. It's over with. I won't even be conscious. Really? That's not what Jesus said. Who would know more about it, Jesus or you? The Christian has hope because of what Jesus did to atone for their sin, the very thing that the Apostle has been talking about throughout the book of Romans here. You've got hope beyond this life, something to look forward to. It's not just that dark hole in the ground where all of a sudden, you know, the Put you in there if you go that way, if you say, oh, I want to be buried. Uh, you're going to be lowered into the ground, and they're going to put a bunch of dirt on you, and the walk off, and people forget about you. <laughs> and really, that's kind of what happens in many instances. No, Jesus came forth from the grave. That's what provides the hope for the Christian, that there's more to life than what we see right here in all the trials and the tribulations and an occasional glory day. There's more to life than this. You know, it, it, Paul had talked about earlier that, you know, when it comes to the suffering and things in this life, they are they pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us. We don't know, even in infinitesimally small amount of what God has in store for those who are going to be resurrected unto eternal life. We don't know fully yet, but we know it's going to be glorious in the way that we understand it as, as God has revealed it. We know that. God has given that to us here, and we hope in that. In the meantime, we have all of these problems we have, whether they're financial or marital or physical or mental or whatever. We have those troubles. And the, the apostle Paul says to be patient, to persevere, knowing, you know what, what's happening here in this temporal world is not going to last forever. Even... <laughs> Even though, like recently, uh, when I had my cold for good grief, how long did I have it? 12 weeks, something like that? Three months? Pretty long. And I remember it being somewhat similar to that when, uh, actually, it was 45 days. The other one was 12 weeks when I had pneumonia. And I thought, I thought it was over. I, I was just absolutely miserable. But God says, it's a cold. Going to take care of you. Maybe not always as you get older. 
And we're all getting older, you know, with each passing day. And sometimes our bodies don't function quite like they used to. They're a lot slower in recovery. But we persevere through the the trials and tribulations of life, whatever they might be. And this is why, you know, I remember years ago telling some of my young students when we got off on the subject of suicide, there's so much of that going on today. Young people committing suicide, killing themselves because they think, you know what? There's no hope at home. There's no hope in, in, in life. And I don't have anybody to love me. I don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or they had one and they lost them and they just give up and they think this is it. No, 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 no. You never ever make a decision, especially an eternal one on a temporal condition, on a temporal circumstance. You never do that. You persevere. Tomorrow, the sun is going to still seemingly rise in the east. You've got to persevere. And this is even more important as a Christian. Because God is the one who gives the perspective and the outline uh, outlook on what life is about. It's about the trials and tribulations and, like I said, the the times upon the mountain peaks and down in the, the valley. Well, that's what life's about. It was not in originally that way, but with the introduction of sin, we've got to understand how big of a part that it still plays in our lives. Whether we're talking about our personal life or in the world around us. You know, here in the great state of Texas, here in probably, see, today is January the 30th. I'm going to say in probably 12 weeks or less, 8 to 12 weeks, we're going to start rocking and rolling with springtime thunderstorms, big hail, big tornadoes, and it's going to wreck people's lives one way or another. Christians, this is part of what happened to the to the environment. You know, they always talk about climate change or whatever. Yeah, they don't know what climate change is yet. Big bigger things are coming, but when it, when it comes to the big hail and the big tornadoes and all that kind of stuff that people get fascinated by and, you know, the storm chasers get out there in the middle of it and some of them get killed, admiring the wrath of God as it being poured out upon the sin in the world. This is part and parcel of the Christian life. And we either endure it or we give up. We either rebuild or we live in a shack or in a cardboard box. But that's just part of being patient as the trial and the tribulation pass and bigger, more glorious things follow. And it may not even be immediate. I remember years ago when I lost my teaching position because the Muslims decided to act in an idiotic way and the school board said, oh, well, that's okay. You're at fault. The teacher's the problem for the chaos in the classroom. Really? It was a tr time, a very trying time for me. And I, I'm still waiting. You know, maybe someday I'll teach again. I don't know. But I, I didn't give up. I didn't go out and slash my wrists because I knew all of life was not compacted in that one isolated event. So if you're a young person and you're listening to this podcast and things seem to be bleak beyond bleakness, dark beyond the most pitch black. It only seems that way, but it's not really that way. 
Oh, but it is. I'm I'm, I'm going to jump off a building or going to go commit suicide. I'm going to take a, you know, a, a bottle full of fentanyl and get it over with. And then what? You think the trouble start or you think you're going through trouble today. If you're unregenerate and you go do something like that, it's only jumping from the fire into the fi- into, into the frying pan or the frying pan into the fire. And if you're a Christian, you get to stand before God and explain yourself. Oh, Lord, I didn't trust in you. Uh, even though you had that guy over there, I never met the guy. Yeah, that Dr. Paul guy. Him kind of getting I just all out of sorts about being patient. To tr- I know you sent him my way, but I he doesn't know anything. And then God's going to say, uh, okay, then explain to me. Why did you do the stupid thing you did when just maybe a day or so later, everything turned out to the good in a hundred times better way? Why did you do that? And then you're going to be sullen about it. You're going to be speechless. You're going to be ashamed because... The God that you put your trust in, you didn't trust him when it counted most. And I I think Paul's admonition here in verse 12 fits perfectly here. Be constant in prayer about it. It doesn't mean you go around with your prayer mat and fall on your face in the middle of a street, stop traffic. doesn't mean that. You know, the, the God who infuses us with his spirit and his presence and talks to us through his scripture and illumines our mind. He's right there. He's willing to listen. He hears. Why aren't you talking to him? You can talk to him in any way, whether you're standing on your head, taking a shower, uh, doing a ball game, whatever. Uh, God is listening. And I think sometimes it's because we don't Talk to God. Just like I'm talking to you right now. Doesn't mean you have to be irreverent. But God is He's willing to listen when we're we're rejoicing, when we're being patient in tribulation, when we're just wanting to hear from God by once again the illumination of, of the scriptures to our mind. God is there all the time. And he wants to hear from us. And I think if more Christians really prayed, not just got up and, you know, uh, kind of like some people do the national anthem, they perform it. <laughs> they don't they don't sing it, they perform it. Well, that's how a lot of Christians are. They don't pray. They don't communicate something to God that is meaningful. Instead, they perform it. So that other people, you know, Jesus made, made a reference to this. You know, if you're going to go out and pray, don't go out and do it before men, but you go go get in your closet and do it there. Why? Because we, we seem to think, we well, we're going to impress God. if Well, if we perform just the right words and the these and the thous before a great setting of people, and people will be, if they're impressing, God must be. No, he's not. Talk to him. Talk to him like he's your father, like he wants to hear. He's concerned. Whether it's, uh, once again, you're rejoicing or you're repenting. Just be real. Don't be a hypocrite. Kind of going back to what Paul started out with in verse 9. Don't be a hypocrite. And I guarantee you'll be rejoicing in hope, and you'll be patient in tribulation you'll have a new perspective on what those things are in relation to you as you try to walk the Christian life, which is one day at a time, one step at a time. And then Paul says in verse 13, (laughs) like I said, we might get through this. Contribute to the needs of the saints. This kind of goes back to one of the gifts that Paul talked about earlier. You know, if you're going to make a contribution, if you're going to give, then do it generously. And and do it in the sense of needs, not wants. Well, the uh, the saints over there in Jerusalem, they all want a Mercedes Benz. 
Oh, that's nice. Well, the uh, the the Saints in Birmingham, Alabama, they want to win the lottery. That's nice. It's needs. Contribute to the needs. And we all have them. Whether we're talking about physical, monetary needs, which so many people seem to focus upon, even the blab-it-grab-it people, or the emotional, spiritual needs contribute to that in some way. Now, obviously, he's probably talking about you know something of a monetary means. I mean, the Apostle Paul did this. He took up contributions and take them back to the poor saints in Jerusalem. That's fine. If there are needs, but there's a difference between a need and a want. And seek to show hospitality. I, I like this, this word, I feel a Xenian, the lover of the stranger, the, the lover of the alien. <laughs> and we're not talking about those from Mars. We're talking about those that we may not be familiar with. I mean, I, I, there's, a, there's a great reference here in uh, the book of Hebrews. It's got me to thinking about this. When it talks about the aliens, you know, the, the, those messengers or strangers we may not be familiar with, we're not only contributing to the needs of those that we're familiar with, but we're to seek or to, to, to show hospitality. He says over in, uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, he starts out by saying, let brotherly love continue. I like that. Kind of sounds familiar with what the Apostle Paul wrote here in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hey, let brotherly love continue. And then what? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. The very thing that Paul's talking about, the same root word, when he's talking about showing hospitality, Philizinian, the lover of an alien, of a stranger, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I, I just find that to be almost like, wow. You know, angels can take human form in some instances. Or some maybe some people... What the, what the writer is talking about, those that uh, have an angelic demeanor about them. I don't know. But he says, you know, some of you have actually entertained or shown hospitality towards those or some individuals or beings that were angels, and you didn't know it. That's how we ought to be. Now, that doesn't mean and there's a big tiff right now, if you're not aware of it, and you're not in the United States, about all of the illegal invaders that have come to the United States, traipsing across the southern border. My whole thing on that is, look, if you're going to come, come legally. I don't care who you are, where you're from. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter if you're black or white or tall or short, skinny, fat. It doesn't matter to me. Just come legally. Because if you don't come legally, then you're going to break the system. And you're going to destroy the country. And it's going to be awful hard for me to show hospitality to those who have taken my house away from me. Doesn't mean that it's totally impossible. But I'm just saying there's an order to things. But Christians should seek to show hospitality to those they don't know. It's their way of showing the world that, hey, there's a better way than the way that you're currently living. Let me show you. Let me tell you about it. And if you're not telling them, you know, I'm, like I said, it's, it's by faith that a person, or it's by the words that are preached that a person arrives at faith anyway. This, this whole thing, once again, throwing out the placards or trying to do end runs around the way God has designed outreach in the church is ridiculous. It sets you up as a false church. And then he says in verse 14, in fact, you know, I think we're going to pull up a little short here. 
because <laughs> this is taking a lot longer now that it was going to. I actually, I honestly thought, you know what, we could get through this whole thing. Let's just pick this up at verse 14 on the next one. How about that? I've got a lot more to say. The, the, the bottom line is right now, don't be a hypocrite. Be genuine. You know, abhor what is evil. Do the things that, that Paul has talked about here. They are, as it's somebody else has put in my Bible here, they are the marks of a true Christian. And it has nothing to do with, oh, no, true Scotsman. No, this is what true Christianity is about. Do them. Not only will you be blessed by it, not only will you be rejoicing in your Christianity, so will others. And really, that's what the good news is about. Blessing you beyond your wildest dreams and then blessing others accordingly. I hope you'll do that. If you will, drop me a line. Podcast at capro.info And I may respond, I don't know. Until next time, you take care, keep sharing the gospel, and we'll talk to you later.